and welcome back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by two members of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters and the resident moose himself, Mo Nawara. After a 1-4 week 9, we are currently 21-20-4 in the Las Vegas Super Contest, tied for 1600th and 99th place. Kind of nice. Why am I excited on this podcast when I was previously sad? I don't know. Woke up in a good mood. I think partly because we're just getting moosed. DP, you put a stat in the chat about public sides entering Monday night. Would you like to share that statistic with the good people of the world that are listening? Yeah, public sides 11-0. Perfect. There you go. Straight up and against the spread. We got no shot when that happens. None whatsoever. Mo, Mo, however, uh, while his betting ventures did not go, he did win some teasers, as he said in our chat. Made another FT, kiddo. Mo, where were you? How'd you finish? What's going on? Went to the middle of nowhere in Iowa. <laughs> um, got sixth out of 432, I think, in a 1K for 17K. So salvaged the weekend, but um, my heart is broken. Uh, I admit we just are in the doldrums. We can't win, and um, yeah, just feel like a fish right now. Last night felt good, though, right? Last night, because not only have we had our eyes set on this Titans-Cowboys game for a week, they somehow hung six and a half, but that's one of those moments where even back into the preseason, where they somehow, some way, hung eight and a half as the win total for this Dallas Cowboys team. We pinpointed that as an under. We've pinpointed the Cowboys on the season as a team to fade from week to week. So, Mo, we can at least take some joy. Some of our reads are coming through, right? Some of our reads are spot on. Yeah, this Cowboys is going to pay for any and all misses that I had in the preseason, that's for sure. DP, You've historically struggled with the Cowboys as well, saying that you miss when you bet on them and against them. So it must be good to just have a season where your read is coming through and you can you can actually win some money off this this stupid team. Yeah, I mean every everything's working out as anticipated. This team is not good. They're just not. The clapper. <sighs> Looking across yeah. the Go ahead, Mo. Oh, I was gonna say. Things are things are about to get interesting, but we we can talk about that at the end because let's talk about last week first. Let's get into it. One thing I will say, so Mo did the best out of all of us at two and three. He and Brett both went two and three, and the collective card somehow got a two and three result. The collective card picking at fifty eight point eight percent, twenty five seventeen and three. Mo's still leading the pack with 64% winners in his top five, 28, 15, and 2. I slipped below 500 this week at 21, 22, and 2. Brett is the inverse of that, barely afloat at 22, 21, and 2. And DP, back-to-back one in four weeks, has him picking at 42%, 18, 25, and 2. So not good across the board. And the one thing that I'll point out is home dogs. Home dogs, again, 0-2 
last week. Over the last three weeks, home dogs are two and eight against the spread. Teams giving a touchdown or more are eight and two. So those two things combined, we're just never going to have very much success. The first game that we had this Sunday was the only 1 p.m. Eastern time game that we had, and it's a team we've been riding all season. It's the Washington Racial Slurs. They were the collective pick, and they were short home favorites, hosting the Atlanta Falcons, who were coming off of a bye. But we said on this very podcast there are not enough buys to get them healthy. And that may be true for the defensive side, but their offense clicked on all cylinders. It was Falcons 38, Slurs 14, Matt Ryan throws for 350 and four touchdowns, including Julio Jones's first of the season. This game felt like a whitewashing from start to finish. The Falcons earn two yards more per play than the Slurs, 7.7 to 5.7. Really crazy stat I heard yesterday. There has not been a single lead change in any game featuring Washington this season. Eight games zero lead changes. So in their contest, the first team to score is the one to win. And that was the case here with Atlanta. DP, the slurs offense just couldn't get it going. And then we were decimated by injuries on that offensive line. We really just had no shot in this contest, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it felt like that at the beginning, although Atlanta went up seven Oh early on, you know, uh, Washington uh, got that turnover and it looked like, you know, we could turn this back around, but you know, they failed to cover Tevin Coleman out of the backfield. And that was that, I mean, it's just seemed like this Atlanta offense is, you know, they looked like the offense that they should look like on, on a weekly basis with all the weapons that they have. Their defense looked much better, but I don't really think that they're, defense is the story it's more about uh, Washington's offense like you mentioned I mean Alex Smith just not hitting open receivers when he did hit open receivers they're dropping passes you know they couldn't get the run game going Adrian Peterson has looked like a freak of nature all season I think he ran for like 20 yards in this game it was pathetic Um, yeah they just couldn't get anything going to even try and stay with this Atlanta team and that was that from from the get-go so Mo they start the game without Trent Williams at left tackle and during the course of the game they lose Brandon Sheriff they lose Sean Laveo, and they lose Morgan Moses. This is quickly going to go from a team that we were very happy to bet on to a team that, if people don't adjust to these injuries, we're going to fade immediately, right, Mo? Yeah, this is just 2017 again. Um, this Redskins offense is already really bad, but without these starting linemen, man, this this could be bottom three in the league. I mean, this could be definitely not Bills level because it takes something um, apocalyptic <laughs> to get your team to be as bad as this Bills offense. <laughs> but the slurs are really already working with peanuts, and man, it's going to get really, really bad with replacement level alignment. Looks like P. Rich is headed to the IR as well. They still don't know the status of Jamison Crowder. So I guess from a fantasy standpoint, something Harris is interesting. Uh, Maurice Harris went out, had 100 yards on 10 catches in this game, all of it in super negative script. But who the hell knows what this offense is going to look like. And this week they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road, a team that if you're going to beat them, the best way to do it is to outscore them because their defense is the worst possible. 
Uh, so definitely an interesting spot where I don't know if the slurs can take advantage of that bad Bucks defense. Uh, total whitewashing here. And unfortunate. I think we have to uh, lay the slurs to rest. Bert Minotti, I know you're listening. You can probably go ahead and, and rip up that Super Bowl's future. Not happening, kiddo. And uh, any thoughts of Washington, perhaps, coming out of the NFC East as division winners can probably be punted as well. Let's go to the 4 o'clock Eastern hour, and we'll start with the less exciting game. It was Texans at Broncos. Broncos were, again, a short home favorite, laying a point. It was the Demarius Thomas revenge game, traded to Houston midweek, and then heads back to the mile-high city to take on his former teammates. Pretty ugly game, obviously low-scoring by the total that I just gave you. Uh, Broncos led in yards per play, 5.4 to 4.8, but not very inspiring on either side of the ball. Uh, To me, this came down to rule of coaches matter, and I can't believe in a game Bill O'Brien was the best of the two. End of the first half, the Broncos stopped trying to advance the ball and settle for a 62-yard field goal, which nearly ends in points for the Texans, who get the ball at midfield with a few seconds remaining and at least get a field goal attempt, which is missed by Kaimi Fairburn. And then in the final moments of the game, Vance does it again. Instead of trying to advance the ball a little bit further, maybe even score a game-winning touchdown, he settles for a 50-plus yard field goal, uh, which is missed by Brandon McManus. Mo, when are these guys going to learn? You you actually brought this up previously that uh, having coaches settle for three in this scenario, uh, that, that that the mindset in this scenario down two is they never try to score a touchdown. They always just play for the field goal, and it absolutely came to fruition here. When are these guys going to learn? Yeah, unless you're getting to the five. I mean, the hell are these guys doing? Like, these are not gimmies. 46-yard field goals, like, these guys act like that's just a, a free throw for the win. You know, it's uh, it's pretty embarrassing. I want to know, because I was, like, trying to um, sweat this while I was at the table, and I had a red zone feed up, and I was watching, but then I don't know if they switched over or what. Ha- I want to know how the Texans got up 16 to 10 before half. Can somebody explain this to me? Because... The last I saw, the Broncos were lining up for a field goal to end the half. Yeah, they they are you talking about those the final moments of the second half? Or are you talking about the the lead up to no the first half? Okay, so the Texans came out like guys on fire. They they walked right down the field and scored. They made it a point to get Demarius the ball, and it's one of those things where whatever place they scripted. Bill O'Brien is from the school of script your first drive and, and run those plays. Whatever those plays were, Demarius knew them, and he knew them quite well. But as the game progressed, you could see that Demarius didn't know where to line up. He had, uh, I, I believe it, it was a false start or a, uh, a motion penalty called against him later in the game. He just did not know what to do in the offense. But at the beginning, when everything was scripted, uh, they looked fine. and uh, And that's how... They scored uh, on the first drive. Um, 
at and the they, end of the half. Weren't the Broncos lining up for the last field goal? Yeah, I just, yeah, but they, yeah, they lined up for this. a 62-yarder. Yeah, they instead of and trying they to... Missed, and Houston got the ball in Broncos territory. Yeah. With 18 seconds remaining, the Vance McDonald somehow thought that kicking a 62-yarder was a good idea. That's what happened. It was absolutely ridiculous what he did at the end of the game. He well, gave the other team three points. Like, Everybody on this podcast is pretty much pro do the math on fourth down. And everybody on this podcast knows with 100% certainty that you punt there. (laughs) You don't do anything but punt in that scenario with 18 seconds remaining. You do not. I don't care if it's mile high, 10 miles high. You don't attempt a 62-yard field goal when you just give the team, if you miss the ball at midfield, and all they got to do is throw two plays and kick a field goal, which is what... Houston did, but like I said, lucky for us, Fairburn was wide right. It was the just only Vance. silver lining on that play is the fact that Bill O'Brien didn't try and score a touchdown, and he should have. He could have. He here they made it. Oh, I thought he missed it. My apologies. Who? Fairburn. I forgot that he made it. Oh no! I thought he yeah, missed he, it. He made the field goal for Houston. Oh my god! Yeah, so we could have maybe won this and. It was 13 to 10, and then they tried that field goal to tie it. They missed, and then they went down the field. And And I think that they threw that first long pass, and then there was like 12 seconds left, and they could have like taken a shot to the end zone or done something like that, but Bill O'Brien just decided to play for the field goal himself. So in a way, we're lucky we only got away with losing three points. Oh, no. I totally misremembered that. I thought he missed it. Oh, my God. Now I'm, I'm, I'm even more angry, Vance. How is that possible? How do you attempt a 62-yarder there? How is there not somebody on the sideline screaming at him that this is the absolute wrong decision? Yeah, so this one looks uh, thought that, you know, my kicker in Mile High Stadium has made these kicks, but that guy's never made a 62-yarder. They spent, they mentioned that on the broadcast. I'm so blown. this looks like it was a fond loss. I'm I'm blown I'm blown away. Yeah, the fact that we didn't walk away with at least a half point here is tremendous. Man. <laughs> the only guy in, with a pulse in this entire game was DeAndre Hopkins. That dude's amazing. Of Deshaun Watson's 213 passing yards, 105 went to DeAndre and of Deshaun's 17 completions, 10 of them went to DeAndre. He's just incredible. Uh, Deshaun doesn't look right. I don't know if it's the ribs. I don't know if it's the the system. Again, you lose Will Fuller, and you put in a guy who doesn't know the offense. And then, of course, Broncos defense at home is super solid. Yeah, this game feels like a really bad miss. Man. Well... I guess we just take take another loss on the Texans. <laughs> we hate this team. We have to absolutely hate this team. I still when can't we take believe the Texans. They just blow their own dicks all over the field, and when we fade the Texans, they just somehow find ways to squeak out these covers. Watching last night, watching Titans-Cowboys last night, all I was getting was PTSD of the Texans not scoring in the red zone. (laughs) How do the Titans look like that on offense and Houston can't find themselves in the end zone? I don't. 
get it. Just save up all your pennies, boys, and bet it all in the, against the Texans in oh the first round. Of the they're going to get destroyed when they play a decent team. <laughs> Man. All right, let's go to the most... Play the Chargers and just get waxed. Let's go to the most fun game of the day, a game that I warned you gentlemen about. It was a potential NFC Championship preview. It was a game where somehow the books only hung 60 and actually dropped the total to 57. And there were 80 points scored in New Orleans. Saints 45, Rams 35 was the final. We had Rams plus one and a half on the card, a veto by Mo Nuara. Luckily for him, he took out a loser, a massive loser in Bills plus 10 and put in another big loser in the Saints. This was one of those games where, so they're going back and forth, and then the Mark Ingram fumble happens, and I kind of thought to myself, well, that's the game. Like The first team that blinks is going to lose. The first team that doesn't just walk down the field and score is going to lose. But the Saints follow that up with a nice defensive stand. The Rams go for the fake field goal uh, run out, which is unsuccessful. Uh, even though I think that should have been a first down for Johnny Hacker. Uh, But regardless, the ball gets turned over, uh, and the Saints really go to work. Biggest play of the game was likely that Jared Goff interception to end the second quarter. The Saints score immediately following that to take a uh, 35-17 lead into halftime. And that was what I was most concerned about entering this game is Jared Goff looked a bit shook uh, in that Packers game. I, I still don't think he's anything other than an average quarterback. And in a game where you just have to go throw for throw with Drew Brees, play for play against the Saints offense, this is what's going to happen. And I am not surprised one iota by this outcome. DP, what were your takeaways from this game? Marcus Peters sucks. Well, That we, guy is awful. We know that. I know, but I'm just telling the people out there. He's so bad. Anyway, I I didn't think Jared Goff was going to be this bad. I mean, I know he's not a great quarterback, but I mean, he went, he looked like an amazing QB when they were just blasting off against the Vikings a couple weeks ago. I thought that that was awesome. Why why couldn't we just get that Jared Goff again? But no, we got crappy Jared Goff, and even McVay couldn't save him. Mo, what you got on this game? Well, first of all, I need somebody to explain to me how that one play running out by the Hecker wasn't a first down. I watched that and I just am completely perplexed. I didn't even look back. And then the next time I looked back, when the it was Saints in replay, I, I, and then I, the next time I looked, the Saints had the ball. And I'm done not understanding because that to me looked like a clear cut first down, not even close. So I'm totally with you. The, the only argument I can see is that. If you don't piece the angles together, I can understand that none of the angles give you the exact picture, but it's 2018. Like, why can't we say that let's... Why are we doing this still? Like, well, I don't know what the alternative is. You have billions and billions of dollars. It's fucking 2018. Fix the goddamn replays. Yeah, but what what is the alternative? You can say they have all the money in the world, but what's the alternative? I don't fucking know, man. Just figure it out. That's not my job to figure it out. <laughs> well, if... like, Jesus Christ, use some fucking lasers or shit. I don't care what you fucking use, but it's a joke that they can't get this shit right. 
Well, some of it is just always going to be imperfect. It's it's not tennis where it's just a ball and a line. It's football where there's bodies everywhere and people getting tackled and there is going to never there never will be perfection in rules. I don't know, man. They seem to perfected that yellow line that seems to wig- zig and zag through all the bodies and everything pretty awesomely. They can figure that out, but they can't figure out how to measure a first down correctly. But that yellow line is unofficial, and we see that come into play sometimes. My thing is, so you have two angles, the sideline angle and then the traditional broadcast angle, and why not line them up in terms of time code and then stop them at the same point because then you would know when he's out of bounds and then where the ball is. But it seems like using the angles independently, they came to the conclusion that there wasn't enough video evidence, which I don't think is very acceptable. I just like how they, they like, they want to be like high tech and they bring this stupid frigging tablet out into the field and whatever. And then they got these, these, these poles with chains that run up and down the sideline with people that are like 85 years old. I understand nothing that they're doing with this whole thing. (laughs) Either go all in on the technology or just have, you know, my grandpa out there running up and down the field making calls blind. Mo, what else do you got in this game other than that challenge? You were other wrong. You, you were just wrong. How about how about you just being admitting that you were wrong and that the, the Saints are always outscoring the Rams at home in this scenario? No. How about um this game was always going to be high variance and always going to turn on a few plays. And how about doubling Michael Thomas? How about doing something other than the coverage that allows 12 for 211? That seems like it would be a good idea if there's another meeting between these two teams. I, I would consider that if I were the Rams. I don't know. Yeah, he got his. And I don't care how they, they, like the Saints really have, they have Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, I feel like. Like, and and Trey Quan uh, Smith and Ben Watson, like these are all. Yeah, no, that's I agree with Don. I'd rather let Trey Quan Smith and Ben Watson beat me than it seems like Michael Thomas is just twelve for a buck fifty every single week. Like, dude, do you got? Does anyone know you got to cover this guy? Yeah, that's the. I agree with Donnie. The weapons aren't that overwhelming on this team. I mean, they're a lot more dangerous with Ted Ginn available to just beat you with an eighty-yard bomb at any second. I mean. They're working out Des Bryant. Great, and he's going to, you know, you can't do that much about a running back in a lot of cases. Like, well, look in the other. But you can definitely scheme a little more for a wide receiver like this. I mean, come on. Isn't this Spider Man Mimi, though? Because on the other side of the ball, you have Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks, and then a bunch of Jags. Like, let's not. What do you mean? Coop Cup is fine. Robert Woods is really good. These guys, these guys. Definitely better than the second options on the thing. Stop it. Bobby Woods and Cooper Cup are league average. Guys, come on. They're system-driven production. Those guys aren't amazing at their jobs. They have way more weapons over there, man. No chance. Something Gerald Everett. Like, these guys are just jags in a really good system. I can't wait to get the Rams again in the playoffs against these guys. Well, if it's at Mark Saints... New, I, I mean, four-point move, this was just unlucky. It was not unlucky. The Saints trounced this team. We're wasting so much fucking breath. Listen, the Rams lost on purpose, guys. Yeah, exactly. Like we're I don't Sharp. even know why we're talking about this. We're beating our the dead horse because they didn't try. Rule I mean, of, clearly. Rule of don't go undefeated. Every fantasy owner that has Todd Gurley should rejoice. You will get him now for the fantasy playoffs. This is best case scenario for everybody involved. Everybody's celebrating. I thought 
I don't know. I thought we agreed you were to drink coffee this week and not <laughs> vodka again for breakfast. You, you, these two teams meet again in the Superdome. You're betting the Rams again? 100%. So you didn't watch this game with two eyes then? He's going to get more points, that's for sure. Yeah, I was watching, man. This is, I mean, they will adjust and the Saints will not. They think that they're fine. That's the problem. And they, still are a little more one-dimensional and the Rams I mean they were shredding on offense they were fine the only thing that will be in the Rams favor if they meet again most likely is a healthy Aqib Talib that will be the difference because Marcus Peters is bad we know we've known he's bad he's a gambling cornerback sometimes he gambles and wins most time he gambles and gets a clown suit stitched on him I don't understand why they traded for him I just don't think he's ever been a good player and this is what happens when he's your your top option Mo how many times did you see this in KC Marcus Peters just getting clowned on yeah I mean he's gonna go for the big plays and um a quick guy like Thomas who has you know these these guys who can release well and like sense you know, when they have his weight leaning the wrong direction and then just torch him. I mean, the very technical route runners, he's going to just get brutalized by these guys. Let's go to the night game on Sunday where, guys, Aaron Rodgers played bad. I don't want to say it too loud. He was bad in this game. Not getting set. Both quarterbacks sucked. Well, Brady is bad. We've known that for years now. No arm strength. No conviction with his throwing. That's Tom Brady to a T. Unless somebody's streaking wide open on a downfield two-yard <laughs> drag route, Tom Brady's going to struggle. Or a little dump-off pass to James White. But Rodgers was lazy. His footwork was bad. Throwing off his back foot. Now, part of this, you have to give credit to the Patriots' front. They did a great job. Trey Flowers has been a monster this entire season. But Rodgers missed a lot of throws. That first... Everybody was dogging on Mike McCarthy for calling a wide receiver screen on that third and long in the red zone at the beginning of the game where the Packers settled for that first field goal. That's a touchdown if Rodgers plants and makes a good throw. Instead, Cobb has to reach down for the ball, isn't set when he catches it, and by the time he turns up field, the Patriots were able to rally and make the tackle. I was thoroughly unimpressed by Rodgers' effort in this game. Uh, He ends with six yards per attempt. And then the other side of the ball, the Patriots just do what they do. They don't make mistakes, and they win the game. DP, you were wrong again on your Pats, but your Pats dominated the Green Bay Packers. I don't understand. I mean, Aaron Rodgers to request a trade immediately and sit out the rest of the season. This is stupid. Well, he I played so bad for that guy, but he played bad in this game. I, I listen. I know he played bad, but it's not like his coaches help him at all. It's a joke. The whole thing is a joke. I hope he's just giving up. Uh, well, the last thing I saw before I had to hit the road here was the Packers had the ball and were driving for the lead. Um, and then apparently Aaron Jones just blew it because that must have happened after I left because I had to hit the road after that. And man, what the hell, man? Yeah, This was my guy. He just blew it. 
pretty soft fumble for Aaron Jones, but they, they kind of went right back to him. Uh, it wasn't one of those benching situations. He still finished with over five yards per carry. I think that the biggest takeaway from this game is Josh Gordon is still very good. That guy's good at football. His best catch of the game didn't even count because he was out of bounds. He, uh, he ran like a hitch on the right-hand side and was getting bumped towards the sideline. Somehow contorted his body sideways so he could make the catch. Got one foot in but was a- unable to get the second toe in. And if that guy is going to be able to make up for some of Brady's inaccuracy downfield and just be a big target... What I have not seen from the Patriots yet with Gordon and something that he used to dominate doing in Cleveland is Gordon was super dangerous, obviously going down the field, but catching those like five yard slants and then just outrunning everybody. So they've not taken advantage of that yet, but man, he looks like a problem DP. He does. I mean, he also, it's, he looks like, super tired all the time to me which is weird like i don't like he's not conditioned or something but anyway it doesn't matter his his talent is off the charts the guy's great you know i i feel like they're just keeping it really dumbed down for him like like it just to progress him slowly you know i mean this this offense is not easy to learn you see wide receivers specifically coming to new england time and time again and they just can't pick up the system um, so hopefully they're just bringing Gordon along slowly and they're realizing that, you know, they don't need to like fully unleash him because these other teams just crap themselves every single week. And then come playoff time or much later in the season, it's just, you know, uh, all cylinders are just firing a- as amazing as possible. And he's just a total freak of nature. And they're going to, they're going to need someone like him, you know, a big body receiver, uh, because if, if, Gronkowski's not right, and he doesn't look like he's right when he's on the field, and he's been sitting out a couple of these games. Then they're certainly going to need a body like Josh Gordon, you know, to create big plays and then also be a huge factor in the red zone. Cordell Patterson, RB one. Yo, is anyone going to cover James White like ever? Well, how do you like, co- it- how do you cover him? I don't know. Did people not just see him just standing out there wide open every time Brady dumps off to him like nine times a game? Well, you have to. The the problem is is it's it's hard to guard any running back out of the backfield on those plays, but it's especially hard to guard them against the Patriots because a lot of times you have to use so many of your linebacking resources to cover those crossers, right? Because that's all they that's all they do with Edelman and company is they run over the middle of the field, so you have to dedicate guys for that, and then all of a sudden you have a running back leaking out into uh, into the flat. It's just one of those things where it's really hard to cover everybody. And so you cover, you, you let the guy catch the ball at the line of scrimmage and James White can get a couple yards after that. It's just really difficult to defend that it's great scheme and great play calling. Uh, and the greatest play of the game was the Julian Edelman throwback. Uh, I mean, so well executed, so well drawn up Edelman. They throw behind the line of scrimmage out deep and Edelman looks downfield like he is going to throw uh, downfield, which he's done multiple times. The O-line knows they can't block downfield because that would be a penalty, so they just hang out by the line of scrimmage. And Edelman just throws back to James White across the field, who uh, then rips off a 37-yard play. So even if you take away that, I mean, White only has six for 30. That's like his only real play from a catching perspective, but 
a really well-designed play. James White picks up a chunk, and the Patriots keep rolling on. 5-0 and at home, 7-2 and overall. Yawn, 14-2, and 13-30 is en route, DP. Remember when you thought this was an 11-1 team? What do you mean 11? I was talking about 10. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I send the pizza? Yeah, exactly. It's going to be awesome when the Chiefs are minus one in Arrowhead against this team, and they should be minus seven and a half. How salty is Mo going to be when the Super Bowl is Pat's Saints? Would you even watch that, Mo? What do you mean? It's going to be Chiefs-Rams. <laughs> I mean, the Chiefs won't win, but... It's going to be so great when the Chiefs somehow just crap all over themselves with like five minutes to go in that game. It's going to be awesome. It happens every year, man. Every year. Every team melts against the Patriots. That's just that's just what happens. Patriots get outplayed, and then the other then the other team just melts. Final game. We've danced around it momentarily throughout the show. Titans at Cowboys. I mean, I just, this is just one of the worst lines of my lifetime. I think. Titans. The wrong team favored. The wrong team favored. I mean, Jesus, they, they crushed them. Cowboys were six and a half point favorites. They did plummet down to four and a half in real life. Final score, 28-14 in favor of the road team. The Titans go out and plaster them, although the box score is really ugly for both sides. The Cowboys actually outgained the Titans by a smidge, 5.3 to 4.9. But anybody that laid eyes on that game can see that while Marcus Mariota wasn't anything to call home about Dak Prescott is just really whoa, 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 whoa. Marcus Mariota franchise QB leaps and bounds man booger Jason come on guys uh same exact thing that happened in the Houston game Oakland goes out of their way early to feed Amari Cooper and then in the middle of the game he just kind of goes completely missing catches a couple balls towards the end there but was you could tell in the situations where it was all about chemistry, that final drive where the Cowboys are trying to put a score together, it's Dak to Beasley, Dak to Beasley, Dak to Zeke. He's not even looking in Cooper's direction because he's not assimilated to the offense yet. So when they didn't force feed Cooper, he was just kind of an afterthought. Of course, that'll change with some chemistry, but with this game, he just hasn't had enough time to learn the offense. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Deion Lewis, man, this guy is super talented. He's probably the one guy that was really good on the Patriots and could be really good anywhere that gives him the rock, leads the team in both receiving and rushing. Like I said in the last podcast, he's different from the Ecklers and the Whites and all these scat backs that get put into good positions because he can go up the middle and take contact and fight off of it and get extra yards. And I just love watching that kid play. Um, when is the market going to adjust, Mo, on this Cowboys team? Three and five now. Lost their first game at home. Are we going to be able to just keep printing on Dallas? Or is there going to be some kind of adjustment here? I think there for sure is. I don't know they're People just somehow believed in this random home winning streak, but it wasn't real. And they were catching a few of these teams like the Jags at really good times. Like, like if that Jags game happens in week one, don't the Jags just win by 10? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, and now the real part of their schedule is coming up. And 
I do not foresee us having to sweat this win total in the last couple of weeks. It was also it was also good to see the Titans uh look decent again. Defense um, still looks good for the Titans. Yeah, yeah. They played they played all right. Uh their pass man, Harold Landry was making some some good moves. That kid has got talent and you can see why, like, coming out he was named as although Bradley Chubb obviously got drafted much higher, pretty much everyone uh thought Harold Landry was the more talented pure pass rusher and you can see that that dude just gets after the QB and he's got moves and he's got um, a motor when he's going that direction. So unfortunately, one and four this week, personal gourmet remains the leader in the super contest, a four and one week, 36 and nine through nine weeks and 80% winning percentage. They were on Pittsburgh, Atlanta, the Chargers, the Packers, and the Titans. Last week, the average point total was 2.94, so nearly a full three points. There were 79 people that got blanked. Fortunately, that was not us. 23 people did not submit a card. And that's something I can promise you, boys and girls, we will not do. We will... Even if we continue on this streak, we're still going to submit cards. 5-0 is coming for us. I feel it. I don't hate our process right now, right? Like, it's not that I'm going back and I'm saying, why did I think this, you know? And I'm not trying to be the boy that cries wolf here and say that we're getting moose either. It's just that, I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't think we're missing, like... My biggest miss this week was obviously the Bills. I I tried to trust the history of football where Mo, and credit to Mo, Mo was here on the podcast telling me that this is the outlier. It's always hard to predict the outliers or pick the outliers, but Mo, the Bills offense is the outlier. Yeah, this is what I was trying to tell you. And what I kind of explained in the chat was everything everything in the betting market is based around projection systems. And um, like somebody said, I believe it was uh, Jeff Fogel. He's a gambling writer. The, the betting market is the sum of all prediction models. So prediction models are usually computer-based and numbers-based, okay, but these sorts of systems all regress everything to the mean. But when you have an outlier like the Bills, um, you can't regress this team to the mean. They're that much worse. So projection systems just don't deal well with like outliers like the Bills or like the 2007 Patriots. Uh, like I remember when that team was absolutely destroying and it took like 10 weeks into the season before they started making the lines minus 17 every week you know like forever the patriots were still hanging around like minus seven and a half minus 10 and they're just crushing the lines every week and they just keep covering because the projection systems just don't factor in that they're gonna well they do factor in that these teams are going to regress to the mean they think the patriots are going to come down closer to league average they think the Bills are going to go up 
closer to the league average. Okay, but this team is that bad. This offense specifically is that much worse than the rest of the league. Like you just look at this personnel and you can see they are that much worse. And you you can't accept that this team is regressing. They're not going to regress towards the mean because they're so, so, so much worse than everybody else. And um, I think you're starting to see that with the line this week. Yeah, massive dogs against my woeful New York Jets. I think the same can be said. And again, you, you picked the quote-unquote donk side, but you laid the eight with the Chiefs. And I think it's fair to say on both sides, there's no reason to believe that the Chiefs offense will regress to a normal mean of output performance in 2018. And on the other side of the ball, the Browns, they're the study. They're like the case study for all of this, right? This last, I don't want to say decade. That's a long time, but five, six years of Browns football, Mo, they've been the outlier. And every year we've expected them to regress to the mean, play like a professional football team. And it just seems to never happen. This team included. Yeah, I think you make a great point. Um, the Chiefs are definitely the other way of outlier. Like this offense is one of the best ever, and expecting them not to just keep dropping thirty plus on people—that's just like folly. And for the Chiefs and Browns, that total to be uh, what I think it was like forty-six and. Um, the Chiefs were minus eight. So that means the Chiefs' projected team total was 27 in that ballpark. Um, that's just wrong. Like, that's just not right. And if you see more lines like that, you just need to hammer them, I guess, because, I mean, the public sure did this week. And I think we need to keep an eye on stuff like that because the Chiefs having a team total of 27 just isn't going to be something we can accept. It's funny, too, because you would think, DP, you would think that these books would over-adjust because they know, we've always said this, right? Books are unafraid to take a side on these contests. Like, why don't they just over-adjust? Why don't they start hanging massive lines the other way? Because the public is still going to click them, right? Like the the public is still going to want to lay the big points. And even if they don't, making the spread large is going to have an effect on the money line. So whenever they do these money line parlays, which are absolutely printing, if the if the the consensus picks of the public went eleven and zero against the spread before Monday Night Football, that means parlay cards went bonkers. So even if the public isn't going to lay big numbers, they'd still be paying massive juice when clicking the money line of some of these favorites. DP, why aren't they just hanging massive numbers? Why not just over adjust here? I mean, I think that they're just, they're just hoping that, you know, everything comes back. Uh, you know, it regresses to where they believe it should be, but I don't think that it's going to do that anytime soon. I mean, a lot of these numbers are just too short, you know, whether it's spreads or totals. Totals for sure need to be adjusted. I mean, it, first of all, just the game is just so much different, let alone that these these teams are just, you know, they're better, they're more explosive, they have more talent, the defense doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it's just you have to adjust. The, that Ram-Saints game is a great example of just a total that is way too low. I mean, and and I think that 
um, I think that you're going to see a shift just with the way that that um, sports betting is becoming more prevalent because it's becoming legalized and talked about more in different regions of the U.S. Is that I'm just wondering, like, what sharp money and public money and and how that's going to play out in terms of these guys adjusting lines? I mean, before it was, you know, it didn't matter how much public money you had. You just you adjust the line based on the sharp money. Now I'm just starting to wonder if they're going to have to do things more based on the public money because the public is getting a little bit smarter just because there's so much more information out there that is available that people can just, you know, and it's Sunday morning, you just fire up any, any media site that's talking about gambling and you get some quote unquote expert that's saying like, Hey, pick this side or pick that side. I mean, just that in and of itself is going to make the public a little bit smarter. Um, so Again, that is just, they're going to have to adjust these lines. They're going to have to. I mean, and then, yeah, maybe they get whacked one week. I, I don't know. But, I mean, some of these lines are just absolutely crazy, and they need to adjust them sooner rather than later. And if they lose some money in the short term, fine, but you're going to have to adjust things quick, quickly because people are just going to continue to take advantage of this when lines are just this far off. Well, the dirty little, the dirty little thing that books can do to avoid getting whacked if they over-adjust is just limit the amount that they allow quote unquote sharp betters to place. Like that's the way well, that's to adjust exactly for it. what I was gonna say. Yeah. Because they don't give a fuck. Especially if if the books popping up in, in some of these like newer jurisdictions and whatnot, like they're not gonna be able to take a bunch of sharp money. And so like I think guys who have a clue but like maybe don't need to make a living from this or whatever, like you're gonna be able to find some soft lines at a lot of places because they're going to have to adjust their lines. Like they're going to be off market. Oh, you know what sure. I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the, that's the beauty of when the volume increases, as DP said, sports betting is becoming more popular. People are getting more exposed to the fact that they can bet on these games and there's no stigma attached to it. And when the volume goes up, this is what we've seen in poker. When the volume goes up, you don't have to cater to your pros as much because you're making so much money off of your volume that you don't have to cater to the small percentage of professional betters. And if that's the instance, you can overcorrect some of these lines, limit the amount that individuals are allowed to wager. So you reduce any kind of liability on the quote unquote sharp side. And that's when the books can really start printing, which like Mo said would give us like, we're not professional betters, but we're, we're just doing this to have some fun and get our rocks off a little bit. Like, it might give us some good spots where we're not looking to do the max wager, but we might be able to get some, some really good action off on some of these over adjusted lines. Because at some point the volume is just going to outweigh the sharp money. I mean, we're already there, but like back in the day, like when sports betting first became a thing, like it was, it was just the sharps, right? Like there were, there's very little casual betting. And now that is flipped immensely towards the other end of the spectrum. This is fun. I did not expect this conversation, but I'm glad we kind of dug our heels in a little bit. And I also wanted to just touch on, like, I wonder, I wonder how much, I mean, you see a lot more coverage of sports betting in general, but specifically about these people betting large sums of money. And oftentimes you see that just tied to the fact that, yeah, this person bet a hundred thousand dollars, you know, they're sharp. If sports betting becomes more prevalent and more widely accepted, just because you're betting big money doesn't necessarily mean you're a sharp. 
anyone that they let bet a hundred thousand dollars probably isn't sharp. Yeah, like they're letting Floyd fire whatever he wants. <laughs> you know, I think uh, whenever. Again, I can't stress this enough. The the favorites podcast from the Action Network, especially the Wednesday episode with Bob Scucci. Whenever he refers to taking big big bets from professionals, it seems like it's never larger than ten k. And many times it's in the individual thousand range, one to two thousand dollars. They're already capping the amount that sharp betters can can wager, and and my prophecy is that that number is going to come down even more because they just won't need to inherit that much liability when the volume of public betters continues to increase. And when you can start tracking things like, you know, via online gaming, like FanDuel and DraftKings in New Jersey, I mean, their analytics are just going to be increasingly superior because everything is done through mobile. Yeah, it's not. You know, at the so they're going to be able to track things so easily and really pinpoint like where these sharp betters are making their money, how they're making their money, and then just be like, hey, sorry, you're limited now. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. All right, that's the pod. See, even in a losing week, we brought the positivity and we had a very nice, fun, existential conversation about sports betting. Guys, if you have not already, and Android folks, you are allowed to, not allowed, but you can now do this as well. Go ahead and download the Sharp Side app from the Roto Grinders family. You can track all your bets. You can check out the leaderboards on there. And you can also leave some advice nuggets if you feel like we got college basketball coming up. If you feel like you have a beat on any of these games, you know the sophomore guard has the flu or something, that might be nefarious. Maybe don't do that. Leave an advice nugget. Give somebody some help. Maybe give them a win, the win that they need this week. Also, go ahead and check out Sharp Side dot com dp is killing it with the content across all sports you can also listen to some other great podcasts uh what's the uh the prop podcast that they have prop the prop cast the prop yeah, dies into all different props yeah that's always a fun one so check out sharpside.com follow these guys on twitter at donnie underscore peters and at mo nuara n-u-w-w-a-r-a-h we will be back sometime later this week to give you our super contest card. We're not sure. Worst case, we're actually going to come to you early, so just keep some tabs on that. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. If you are here in the great United States of America, please exercise your democratic strengths and go to the polls. I don't care who you vote for. Just do it. Until later in the week. Peace. Out. Out.